0: All right guys, hello and welcome back to another episode of all the hard things. Um I've been really lucky the past couple months to have so many strong like honestly badass women reach out to me and want to share their story whether they're moms or whether they are, you know, struggling with OCD and they just want to talk about their struggles because they feel really healed and they feel like they're you know, at a point in their journey where they want to give back to other women in a way that they weren't able to, you know, have those resources. So this is another wonderful example of someone from the community who, you know, has gone through her own struggles and really wants to share and give back. So I'm really touched anytime that happens. So this is Stephanie, everybody, I'm going to have her introduce herself to all of you. Um, But I'm really touched by her story, her journey, and I'm so excited to get into it. So thank you, Stephanie. Stephanie,
1: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. And, and yeah. thank you so much, Jenna, for having me. I love, love, love your podcast, so.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. And yeah, these mom episodes and these mental health episodes are really helpful. I mean, every day, like I said, I go on and I see how many people are listening to them and it's like, wow, that's incredible. Like, I, I just want people to be in their, in their cars like, yes, 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 that's me, that's how yes. i
1: am feeling. Um, exactly, so yeah. and I think as a mom, I that was the first thing I discovered about your podcast was okay I'm you know treading water going through the the process of ERP with my own OCD journey but I'm also a mom so there's so much that I can relate to on your podcast with anxiety with OCD and then also also being a mom so
0: tons and tons of good stuff for you guys. So if anyone out there is listening is a parent, a mom, know someone who is a parent or a mom, or you're struggling with OCD or anxiety, even if you're not a parent, I think we have some awesome, awesome stuff. Absolutely. There. So Stephanie, just give us some context and some background kind of Sure. Um, background and all that good stuff.
1: Absolutely. So I am born and raised a Wisconsinite. I know you're from Wisconsin, which I love that. <laughs> um, I, um, um, at 37, I am a mama of one and dog mama. Um, I have had um, OCD and anxiety since I was a little tyke. I think I was like, gosh, I don't know. I think I was around seven or eight um, when I first had symptoms. And I didn't get officially diagnosed until I was in my 20s. Um, but um, I am a makeup artist and esthetician. I moved out here for my job in 2007. And um, met my husband shortly after and um, I'm on this journey. I now um, advocate for OCD. So I'm very passionate about that. And I was able to find your work uh, through my advocacy.
0: That's awesome. Obviously, we both feel really strongly about that advocacy work and you know, going through those processes of being a mom and having babies and already having these issues, being a mom, as you know, kind of just exacerbates all those things. Um, yeah, absolutely. really brings absolutely. so much to the forefront. So talk to us about your, you know, transition into motherhood, what that was like for you um, and, and how that kind of just led to a bunch of other things coming up that you needed to address.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think being a mom was always something that I wanted to be. Um, I think I was very nervous about um, perinatal, postnatal um, type things because of my anxiety and my OCD. How was it? You know, what was it going to look like when I was pregnant? Uh, what was it going to look like during and after? Um, I got pregnant and and was super super excited about being pregnant. Um, I actually really dealt with very minimal um, OCD. Before pregnancy, and it was kind of—I was in a lot of uh, recovery right before I got pregnant. Um, it started to get pretty bad after I had my son. Um, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and what I thought was OCD. But I went, you know, to my primary and I was diagnosed with um, postpartum depression, which I knew, you know, I knew was not accurate. i, w- I wasn't depressed. I was anxious. Um, But I think that a lot of doctors don't know a lot about postpartum OCD. Um, So it's automatically, it's postpartum depression, go on this SSRI, um, and uh, that's going to make it all better. And, um, you know, the the SSRI did go on one after I was pregnant, after I had my little guy, um, because I, I, you know, I was dealing with a lot of OCD. We had some um, trauma with my little guy that we can, I know we'll probably get into a little bit. But... Um, I just was really struggling with anxiety around the trauma that happened. Um, I had a hard time leaving him alone. Um, I was very, very fearful of what would happen if I wasn't right there next to him. Um, and a lot of people don't talk about that type of of OCD um, or or you know postnatal OCD. It's it's almost more the opposite that people talk about a lot. Um, but mine was was very centered around the fear of um, I, could, I couldn't I could fall asleep. I mean, I, it was like, anytime I closed my eyes, I was so afraid that something was going to happen. Um, so I was thankful I had a doctor that, you know, got me on a, a medication that helped a little bit, but, you know, I wasn't doing the active ERP work. I wasn't doing any work for OCD because I was diagnosed with depression.
0: Interesting. I mean, what you're talking about is that you went to get help and obviously it's so... Already you're in crisis mode, right? Like if you're making the decision yeah. to, be to help for the most part, like we are in crisis mode. And so when we go, it's, and we're pretty sure of what we're dealing with, right? You said that you were feeling maybe a little bit depressed, but this, you're like, this isn't what this is. Like, this is something different. And so I had the same experience. I went yeah to see, to see my primary care doctor and I was very clearly anxious. Like I was so anxious that I couldn't even, I remember I was trying to cut an onion for dinner. And my yeah. hands were shaking. I couldn't even cut. I couldn't even use a knife because my hands were it shaking. Constant,
1: so it, exactly. Like this constant state of panic. And I remember explaining that. And, you know, they kept saying, well, I think, yeah, it's definitely postpartum depression. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm not depressed. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really, it was challenging. Um, yeah. and, and she definitely was helpful. Um, I was able to get on, on medication um, that I had been on um, years prior when my OCD was really bad. But yeah, I, I can totally agree with you that I just felt like something was missing. I'm like, no, I knew, I knew that this was my OCD kind of rearing its ugly head. So,
0: And in fact, like I, um, I remember being in the office and they were talking to me about everything and they started asking me depression questions and I'm a therapist. So I knew what they were doing. They were going over a depression screen with me. And I remember stopping her and saying, I'm not depressed. Like I'm going to score very, very low on that. If you continue asking me those questions, if you give me that same inventory, which I knew what they were doing. And luckily because I'm a therapist, I knew, and I said, if you give me the anxiety version of that, that's what's, that's what I need. And so she, I pulled it up on the computer and she did it. And of course I scored, I had really high elevations for OCD and anxiety. And again, like that was a moment for me as a therapist. I'm like, no one else would know to do that. (laughs) Like, no one else would know to be like, excuse me, can you pull up the anxiety and OCD version of that assessment? Thanks. uh, And So I'm in this situation where I'm like, thank God I had that information. But like, all these women don't have this information. Like doctors know this. And I know from my own research, from all the people I've worked with. Anxiety is way more common than depression. Not that postpartum depression isn't a a thing, right? Like that's obviously so huge and important, but we also need to give so much awareness and so much advocacy towards this anxiety and OCD work because it's still a huge problem and it's not always postpartum depression.
1: No, and- and um, you know, both are extremely isolating. And so I, I felt very, very alone. And, and I had an amazing supportive husband, but you know, he was back at work. And you know, it was just me and the baby. And it was a lot, it was a very isolating feeling. And uh, regardless, whether it's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, it, it, it's very hard to walk through. And I was at a, I kind of had hit a very low point um, and didn't, didn't also know where to reach out for support with, you know, fellow NICU moms, other moms that had gone through trauma. And I just felt very, very isolated.
0: Yeah. Especially that time, like maternity leave, when your partner goes back to work, it was, yeah. it, it was, it was hell for me. And I know it
1: was really hard.
0: And so many people are like, you're going to love maternity leave. It's like the best three months <laughs> of your life. Like if you yeah. get bored on maternity leave, just make sure you have like get a Netflix subscription. And I'm like, I literally am just like rocking back and forth alone in my closet. Like, what do you, it was about?
1: really hard. So, that and, means yeah, and I, so
0: much shame and guilt and there's the shame cycle. Right. So it's just awful.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we had, we had issues with, um, feeding, he wouldn't latch and he was also supplemented with formula because he was too fed as a baby. So I was dealing with all of these, like all this mom guilt around breastfeeding as well. And it just, I, I, yeah, I felt very, very alone. And, um, thankfully I, you know, I've got great support group, great friends and great family, but I think because my situation was a little bit different with the trauma and with, you know, his NICU stay, I, I felt, I felt very, very isolated.
0: Yeah. I know that that feeling of isolation and just feeling like you're all alone and you're going crazy and no one else can really understand that is, it just compounds so much negative affect on top of what already is really difficult. And so So yeah, Yeah. talk to us about, you talked about, you know, some other issues, just independently of our own conversations, some other issues that you've been struggling with, like in addition to all of this, you know, about pain and health anxiety. So talk to us about other things that are also going on at this time for you.
1: Yeah, it's, so last year, actually last year, almost exactly this time, um, I was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune condition. And I have dealt with like chronic pain for gosh, probably since right after my son was born. So it's, it's, it's been about eight years. My son is eight. So I've been dealing with the, the pain since then. Um, and I was dismissed, you know, by a lot of doctors, I think solely because I have anxiety. And I think um, health anxiety is, is, has always been something that I've struggled with. So I think a lot of my pain, I equated to health anxiety. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm an anxious person. I, I deal with a lot of health anxiety. This is all in my head. Um, I, you know, I had, which I'm sure you've heard the terminology, like medical gaslighting, which I've had <laughs> plenty of doctors that were amazing, but I've had definitely had ones that were like, nope, Stephanie, like, you're just anxious. You're fine. Your, your blood works all normal. Um and I had a kind of crazy incident happen last year. We took a trip to Disney World. It was our first trip as a family. We were so stoked. We got back um, from that trip, and my legs and my arms were like tingly and numb, and it was a very odd feeling. And um, I just told my husband, I said something is wrong. Um, so we, he said, well, let's just let's go to the doctor went to the doctor and um, had lab work done, everything came back fine. My vitamin D levels were a little bit low. So they said, go ahead and go on a uh, vitamin D supplement um, and uh, B12. So I went on some supplements and went on my way thinking everything was fine. And then um, it wouldn't, the numbness wouldn't stop. So I I just told my husband, I said, I need to go into emergency and just see what's going on. Um, They were thankfully, very open to doing a um, MRI scan of my brain. And it came back that I had um, two small lesions in my brain. So from there, um, I went to see a neurologist and, um, you know, there was kind of suggestion of possible MS or lupus. um, And then from there went to see a rheumatologist and got the diagnosis of RA and um, lupus is kind of in the works right now. I have to do some more blood work. Um, but it has been a whirlwind when it comes to the medical aspect of things. And I think for years, I dismissed the pain um, because of health anxiety and because of doctors telling me, well, Stephanie, you know, you know, you have OCD. Um, so, you know, your, your lab work's coming back fine. Um, when in all reality, it, it wasn't fine. So I think there is part of me that also wants to advocate for people that if you feel there's something wrong and you feel like something is wrong, um, it, it's, it's a slippery slope, I know, because with OCD, with anxiety, a lot of times we can think that something's wrong when, when it's not. But if it's taking a lot of time out of your life and you're dealing with this pain day in and day out, um, you know, I, I would definitely seek a second or even a third opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that you know perspective for sure. I know as a therapist who works kind of on the other side, and I don't have health anxiety issues. I don't struggle with chronic pain, thank goodness. It's easy for me to be like, yeah, just just one doctor is fine. But even mom, you know, like I see myself giving into these like contradictions. I see myself being a little bit of a hypocrite, and so it's like you said, it is a slippery slope because when it comes to moms or even my own issues, like. I often say a lot of things like about mother's intuition and, you know, if you feel like something's wrong with your child and you feel like you need a second opinion, you trust that mom's intuition. And then I'm like, wait, that would be the opposite of what I tell someone with health anxiety. So absolutely, I appreciate you acknowledging that it is a slippery slope. And I think it depends on every individual person, right? Like you're obviously aware of the ERP skills and I'm curious kind of what your experience in exposure and response prevention is and you still made the decision to go and do this. And, and it's a slippery slope. We'll never be able to tell like what's reassurance and what you actually need to do. So it's a, just a case by
1: case thing. Oh, absolutely. And I think it definitely for me, exposure, even just talking, like even this is exposure for me, like even just talking about that journey, um, it's taken me probably four or five months to even just acknowledge that that can be some, some medical trauma that I dealt with. And I think a lot of times as moms too, we tend to like push it under the rug. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, but my therapist, she's the one that's like, no, Stephanie, you know, we need to acknowledge that that is, um, some trauma and, you know, you're dealing with a lot right now and it's okay to admit that, um, you're dealing with a lot as a mom and also as, as, um, someone who's dealing with an autoimmune condition. So.
0: Absolutely. And I, since becoming a mom, for sure, I feel like my own therapy approach has been like way more validating, like yeah, difficult for you. Whereas before I'd be like, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And I can see myself even like contributing to some of that gaslighting or an invalidation and just being a mom and having, of course, my own struggles come about with anxiety and OCD and so many other areas. I'm like, I gotta take a step back here. (laughs)
1: Like, absolutely. Yes. So it does. And it's, I think that there is the light at the end of the tunnel is that, you know, we have ERP, there are treatments that we can do to help with, with OCD and anxiety. Um, and I have, you know, medication and, and a diet that I'm on for my autoimmune condition. But I think ultimately, we still have to be doing all the work and it's hard work. And I didn't even really get into ERP um, until last year. So before then I had no, I had no idea what ERP was. Um, I had been doing CBT with my therapist and she, she was great at the time, but I wasn't doing any active ERP.
0: Okay, yeah, you're giving me the best segue. And so this is what I was gonna want to talk about anyway. And I'm so glad because you said it was like the light at the end of the tunnel, and thank goodness we have ERP. And so I want to transition into talking about your experience in ERP, and we can resonate and jam about this because you know, as a mom and I've been open about my struggles. I also had to do exposure and response prevention. Um, so I'm curious to hear, like as a therapist, but also as like a fellow ERPer you know, what your experience was of it when you were going through it and now, like what your experience is now, because, well, first things first, I think for those of you who aren't familiar, I will describe it. And then I kind of want you to describe it, like from a, from a client's perspective, like what, how do yeah. you describe ERP. So from a therapist's perspective, for those of you who don't know what ERP is, so it's exposure and response prevention, and it is under the umbrella, it's a treatment intervention for OCD and anxiety. And it's the gold standard treatment for OCD, meaning it is the best of the best. Nothing else really can come close to it. And since the last research that I've done, ERP is actually the most effective treatment. for. It's more effective for OCD than any other treatment for any other disorder. So I could yes. go on for days about that and listen to my other podcasts if you have other questions about ERP. But you know, it's essentially this process of, with a therapist, identifying things that are challenging and anxiety-provoking for you, and in order to get over them, you have to go through them. So, you know, if you're afraid of car accidents, you might have to listen to an exposure of listening to a car accident sound, like sounds or cars crashing, um, and the most important mm-hmm. part is the ritual prevention, right? So you have to resist the uh, the safety behavior of typically, like, maybe avoiding going in the car or, you know avoiding news articles that you hear about car crashes or anything like that. So that's ERP. So Stephanie, why don't you, from your perspective, give me your kind of definition or understanding of ERP and then start to talk to us about your own, you know, step-by-step process of that, what that was like from beginning, middle and end.
1: Man, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a lot. In fact, when I, when I first started ERP, which was, um, last year, I, I left cold Turkey. I think I was, I was so overwhelmed. So I think for anyone that's starting ERP, um, don't give up. That's my number one piece of advice. And it does, I feel like when you first start exposure response prevention, it is, um, extremely nerve wracking. Um, and you're feeling feelings that maybe you had repressed, you know, or or suppressed before that you really didn't really want to, um, think about, I I know for me, I feel like I kind of avoided a lot of my triggers because I didn't want to deal with it. So once I started ERP, it was really hard for me because I felt like I was facing every single fear that I was dealing with. So um, ERP for me has definitely, now that I'm in active treatment, um, I see my therapist once a month um we were i was actually seeing him every other week and now we're on once a month um and i have you know my hierarchy my list of things that i need to work on and i know what i need to work on um for me personally right now i'm dealing with a lot of um health ocd struggles so talking about um you know what my journey looked like what it looks like now is actually exposure for me um walking through taking medication that is a huge one for me and i I have to be on medication for my RA. Um, not everyone does, but I do. And even getting on that medication, because a lot of times with OCD we have fear. If it's if it's specific to health, um, sometimes we can have fear around even taking medication. So um, actively taking medication has been a huge exposure for me. Um, contamination OCD. That I've dealt with that since I was around the age nine. Um, you know, actively, you know, like my husband, well, gosh, what was it? It was like two weeks ago, we were cooking chicken and he dropped a piece of chicken in the sink. And I think to a normal person, they would pick the chicken up, rinse it off, put it back on the plate. To someone with OCD, that was, I remember him, he grabbed the chicken and just kind of rinsed it off and put it back on the plate. And I'm like, okay, Steph, in my mind, I'm thinking like, this is exposure response prevention. Do not throw that piece of chicken away. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and that's I, so awesome because
1: that's so true. I, it is right, like I, you know, and I, contamination OCD isn't. Um, it for me, it's very odd, like that. It kind of it comes and goes. I have had literally most of the subtypes, um, which I I know we probably won't get into all subtypes, but and some people they kind of just. I mean, it, it's all OCD, so I know that there's a lot of people out there that are like, you know, don't get focused on the subtype, but. Um, for me, I think because those subtypes change all the time, um, some can feel more distressing than others because it can also latch on to things that you value the most. And so that was, that's been very hard for me. And, and cooking is something that I enjoy doing for my family. And contamination of OCD has stopped me from doing that a lot. So that was definitely kind of an example of ERP for me that I've had to walk through um, and just say, you know what, maybe, maybe not. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. I can tell that you must have a good ERP specialist because this is exactly what we would want. Oh my gosh. Yes. He's amazing. (laughs) amazing. Yeah. Probably almost too amazing for you from time to time.
1: Um, yes, he's, he's really good. And he, he pushes me, which is great, you know, because I think, I think that that we need that. Um, because there were many times where I was ready to just be like, this isn't working. Um, because I, my, my, it's not linear. And for me, my journey has been very slow. The process has been slow. Um, I think because I've been dealing with OCD for gosh, almost 30 years. Um, I was really apprehensive to feel all these feelings. And I, I remember telling him like, I just think it's just not going to work for me. And I remember him telling me, Stephanie, it's going to work, but it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of work. (laughs)
0: I'm hitting the pause button quick to share with you guys a product that my family absolutely loves. Magic Spoon is a protein-packed, delicious adult version of some of our favorite childhood cereals. It's a healthy cereal that seriously tastes too good to be true. Each serving has about 11 grams of protein per serving compared to those other cereals that only have one or two grams of protein per serving. Each serving also only contains three net carbs compared to an average of 24 net carbs per serving with other cereals. Magic Spoon cereals are also grain-free, gluten-free, and free of artificial sweeteners and other funky ingredients. They have flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, honey nut, and my favorite, peanut butter. Give it a try at magicspoon.com and enter Jenna Overbaugh, one word, for free shipping on me. Happiness 100% guaranteed. Yes, ERP definitely does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of work. And you're doing exactly what we would want people to do, which is not just these exposures that are directly assigned to you by your therapist, but it's like living the lifestyle, right? So yes, talk to us about other, like I love these other examples of like, how do you feel like you kind of live the exposure lifestyle? Like when these situational things come up, What? how do you handle that? And then like maybe, you know, some advice
1: for other people out there who are struggling with that aspect of treatment. Yeah, absolutely. I think- Man, there's been a lot of, um, I think I also have exposure around, um, you know, I've got to do the work with um, eating and eating, you know, um, for me right now, I'm dealing with a lot of like intuitive eating, like eating what I desire to eat. Um, I'm working on, you know, my disordered eating that I dealt with for years. And, you know, I do think that some of that um, disordered eating, those patterns came from, my anxiety and my OCD. Um, And so I I still am challenged. You know, I had, I dealt with um, an eating disorder from the age of 16, all the way until about 25. Um, And I'm in my late 30s, and I'm definitely not dealing with it um, at all anymore. But that is still an active part of my ERP. Um, If I, you know, see something I desire to eat, I'm going to eat it. Um, I'm, you know, I still am working on um, not putting like caloric value on everything that I put in my mouth and um, body image. Like those are issues I think that I've had since I was a young teen and I still deal with it. Um, so I do kind of use some of that in in my everyday ERP. Um, like I said, contamination and health, those are some big subtypes for me. So I do do a lot of exposures on that. Um, I've even had um, some uh, a very big one I think for a lot of people is the sphere of driving. Um, I've also dealt with that. So being willing to get behind the wheel and know that I'm okay. Um, even exposures like driving on the freeway or driving on the highway. Um, all things I know I'm, I'm capable of doing, but all things I also did a lot of uh, avoiding on, um, before ERP. So I would, I would take the service roads, Um, I would take, you know, the the roads that I felt the most that were the most safe. So I wouldn't have to get on the highway, especially with my child. Um, So those are some exposures that I definitely have been working on. Uh, Driving is a big one for me right now. And I think anyone that's going through the process um, be patient with yourself and find find community. I think I'm in an awesome support group here in Texas, and it has been amazing for me to talk to other individuals. Some are moms, um, some are entrepreneurs, a wide age range, male, female, and we all kind of come together and share our story. And I think if you can find support in any way, I would highly recommend it.
0: For sure. I know. You know, in my own recovery and in witnessing the recovery of others, finding other people who share similar difficulties with you just eliminates that compounding effect that shame and guilt and isolation can have. And it allows you to kind of get to the problem, which is, you know, this OCD or these intrusive thoughts and this anxiety or this depression or really whatever it is. It, you know, stops your suffering at what the problem is. Because it doesn't have this compounded effect of like I'm the only one who's like this. There must be something wrong with me. Like what's wrong with me? Um, you talked um, about yes. a lot of other things about like being a you know becoming an instructor and engaging in yoga and something that I feel really strongly about as a therapist and also as a you know person who's been through the ERP process and continues to go through the ERP process something that I love to do myself and talk to others about is values and living life in accordance with your values, making sure that people are setting strong boundaries with their fear and going in the direction of their values. So value talk has been huge for me lately in my professional work and also in my you know, personal life. So talk to us about living according to your values and how you've done that and what implications and what effect that has had on your recovery.
1: Man, that's a, that's a big one for me. Um, And we talk about that a lot in, in my my support group about, you know, just living, living in the moment, living with your, what you know are your, your values. And I think being able to separate intrusive thoughts from your values, it's, that takes a lot of practice. Um, I still feel like I struggle with that uh, because there's a lot of shame around anxiety, around OCD, um, around OCD in general, I think that a lot of us feel, there's almost like this grief in like lost time. Um, we've lost so much time from this disorder, and I think that being able to separate the disorder from our values, um, it's still something I, I struggle with. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I, I have my list of to- dos. Um, and, you know, my focus is getting my son out the door for school and um, getting ready for work and having a good day at work. But when those thoughts are constantly in your mind, it's very hard to separate it from your values and say, OK, I'm a good person. Um, I want good things. I'm a good mom. I'm, a, you know, I'm a good employee. Um, so I, I definitely think that that's still a challenge for me. But I think my therapist has told me, you know, it, do do the work and it will definitely pay off um, and, and write down. So I'll write down, you know, two or three good things that I know I want to see from the day um, that I know that I am um, and I'll write down, you know, a few of my worries and then I'll start my day. Um, journaling has been huge for me. Yoga has been huge for me. Um, meditation. So just spending time with yourself in your thoughts and letting them be there, letting them pass by. Um, that was a big one for me. Cause I remember telling my therapist, how do I just let it pass by? And he said, you know, it's, those thoughts are going to be there. They're going to be there. You just have to let it, let it pass by. And it's, I think people with OCD, that's the hardest thing to do. And people that don't have OCD, they're like, well, I, you know, I might, I, people have intrusive thoughts all the time, but they just, they don't, it, there's no loop. So I think for us with OCD, it's questioning how how can we just let it pass by. And so I think I still have a hard time um, with that, but I try my best to live in my values. I write them down, I journal. Um, those definitely kind of help me a little bit. But yeah, it's that's definitely still a, a challenge for me. And I think as an advocate, I try and share that as much as I can. Because I think sometimes I've gotten messages um, on my page before that are like, Gosh, how do you like? How is it living in recovery? And I'm like, oh no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not recovered. I'm, I'm far from recovered. Um, but I can definitely share, share light with what's helped, what's helped me for sure.
0: I love that. There's so much about that that I love. And something that I've been, you know, professionally thinking about a lot too is like how to help these people who struggle with more of the mental rituals. I, I cannot tell you how many times a day I have to answer the question like, so what am I supposed to be thinking about during an exposure? Like, how am I supposed to resist these mental rituals? And it's like, yes, the thoughts are going to be there. And so what I always tell my members and who I work with is it's less like you're adding in a part of an equation, right? Like, you're not adding in something additional. You're just taking away something that you've done that's not natural to be doing. And as a result, you're left with this uncertainty. You're left with these thoughts. You're just not ritualizing or doing these safety-seeking behaviors to get rid of them. So as a result, you're sitting with those thoughts. And I think that has been a helpful way for people. And and something that you're, I mean, even personally, as we talk about values versus fear, OCD and anxiety can even self-sabotage that, right? Like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I've been really open about my struggles. I feel like a lot of my obsessive compulsive tendencies are revolving around my child and like regret in the future. Like, am I spending enough time with him? And it is above and beyond, like, I think just the general subdued, like in the back of our minds, am I doing enough as a mom? Like it would attach itself to even little things. Like if I listened to a podcast in the car while oh. he was in the car, like and yes. if I'm this when I'm 80 and I'm in the hospital and I have these <laughs> hanging from me, like- <laughs> For some reason, that's always, like, my end fear, like, that I'm going to be 80 in the hospital with IVs, and I'm just going to be, like, devastated that, like, how dare you listen to podcasts in the car instead of I'll talking you, to your baby? Yes, I and think like, self, yeah.
1: self-care is really, um, it's challenging, I think, with OCD and anxiety, Um, depression, but it's also challenging as a mom. So like you, you combine the two and it's like double whammy. It's, it's, (laughs) it's really hard. I think anytime that I'm given the opportunity to have time for myself and I, I, I I purposely do give myself that time Um, in the evening, I go on a walk, I do my yoga and meditation and I do, I do that um, purposely so that, you know, I'm giving myself that time, but even allowing myself that time, um, it's very hard to do. And it has been very hard for me to do because sometimes I think with OCD, we can feel a lot of shame. And so we think, well, I'm not worth this time. This time that I'm giving myself, I'm not worth this time. And so I think that has been something I've struggled with. The, the shame has been something I've struggled with a lot. And so I just, I, I live according to my values and I say, no, I do deserve this time. Um, you know, my son is, is fine. He's good with his dad right now. They can hang out. He they can <laughs> the dog is fine. Like that's another thing Then I got then I'm worried about the dog. <laughs> We've all had a whole podcast episode about the dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved that episode because it's so true. Like they, they're part of your family and so that's the one funny. episode I've ever cried over yeah <laughs> I know, it, all episodes I'm crying over the dog episode <laughs> I'll tell you well Boomer is my like little he's my rescue ESA like he's been a part of our life um for four years now and he is he's my my ESA and um but he's also a really big part of our family and um He's, he's amazing. And yeah, I, 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 even when I know my family's taking care of them I'm like, okay, well, what about the dog? And it's, it's this constant feeling of, I've got to be doing something else. And I do, I think that sometimes I just, I have to live according to my values and say, nope, everyone's fine. I'm going to go do this. And I, I do think that that's helped me a lot, um, My yoga journey has getting a license and, and, um, being certified to do yoga has helped me a lot in slowing down. I have a hard time slowing down. I keep myself very, very busy. And I think sometimes I do that because then I don't have to sit with, um, uncomfortable thoughts or feelings.
0: (laughs) I relate to that 100%. Yes. There's just, we're going to have to have another episode because there's so (laughs) much that we can get into, um, (laughs) Yeah. But, oh my gosh. Yeah. I have, I have legit chills. We need to absolutely do another episode. Oh, I would
1: love it. I would love it.
0: Um, yeah. I have so much that I would love, love, love to ask, but I don't want to take up too, too much of your time. So I'm, yeah. I specifically, before we get into like the closing questions, I want to know like other issues you face with the whole exposure process, especially, As it relates to like balancing it all. So I know a lot of people out there, especially moms struggle with this idea of like, well, how am I supposed to work and handle, you know, work with my, you know, maintain my family and clean the house and do all these other things and make time for exposures. Like, how do you handle just the balance of it all, especially as you incorporate ERP into your life?
1: Oh man, <laughs> you know, some, some weeks are better than others. Some weeks I'm like, man, I'm on it this week. Yes, like I'm doing my exposures. Um, I'm getting all, the, all my sons, I'm helping him with his homework. I got dinner on the table. And then some weeks I'm like, holy cow, let's order out. I haven't done any ERP and uh, like I'm a hot mess. I need a shower type thing. So I think it's definitely... <laughs> week by week for me. But, um, I think that the biggest thing is just giving yourself grace, giving yourself, uh, allowing what it, what's going to happen, happen. Um, you know, I, that's a big one for me. I'm, I love control. And, um, my husband always teases me cause he's like, you know, Stephanie, like you're learning in therapy. Maybe, maybe not, maybe that won't happen. And so sometimes I think letting go of some of that has been helpful for me. Um, I was really nervous about going back to school. It's something I've been wanting to do. I'm I'm back in nursing school, and I sat on that decision for probably a good solid year because I thought I couldn't do it. You know, I constantly was telling my therapist, you know, I've got ERP, I have to do, and he's like, well, you can you can do active ERP while you're in nursing school, while you're working, while you're a mom, and so I think. I try really hard to integrate ERP in everything I do. I, I, don't always, I don't always have time to write everything down, but I'm actively doing exposures in my mind while I'm going throughout my day. Um, and if I come across something that's a really hard exposure for me, I try my best to push through and, and do the exposure um, because I know that's what's gonna be best for my anxiety. And, and I know that I'm going to have weeks that are really tough. Um, I just had a bad week about a month ago and I was just down. Um, and I remember, you know, people on Instagram were like, "Where are you, staff?" You know, my my family was like, "Are you all right, staff?" Because I'm I, I tend to be positive for the most part. Um, but you know, even even the most positive people can can be hiding a lot. And for me personally, I think I tend to internalize a lot. So giving myself grace has probably been the biggest. The piece of advice I can give other people too, is it's, it's not, it's not linear. It's not going to happen overnight and you've got to give yourself some grace.
0: For sure. I love that so much. So this is great advice for other people. I'm curious, what advice would you give yourself back then? At any, and it could be at any point, like when you were struggling with motherhood, when you were in the NICU, oh, when you were starting therapy, like what do you wish you knew
1: back then? And what would you tell yourself back then? That you can do it. I mean, I think that whatever you put your mind to you can do and and i and and my my journey is going to look very different from someone who doesn't deal with ocd but it doesn't mean that i can't i can't get through it it just might be a little bit more challenging um and i know that sounds cliche but, but it's honestly if if i were to have someone come back and say to me these are the things that you can accomplish and that you may accomplish in your life if it were 10 years ago, I would say there's no way. There's no way I would be able to do that. There's no way I'd be able to go back to school. Um, even motherhood, like I remember questioning whether or not you know, I would be able to challenge be, be a good mom and how, how am I going to navigate being a mom while dealing with OCD? Um, and, and I've been able to do it one step in front of the other, baby steps, just like um, if I don't know if anyone, <laughs> this ages me, but if anyone's seen what about Bob? That is um, kind of my, my life motto is just one step at a time, baby steps.
0: That was actually going to be like my reflection back to you for the previous <laughs> question was like one day at a time. Like, yep. You're yes. saying giving yourself grace the way that I kind of get through it is like one day at a time. And sometimes it's not even day, right? Like it's right one nap at a time, one meal yep. at a time, or like one, <laughs> one session at a time, like just trying to be where my feet are.
1: And Absolutely. it is a practice,
0: right? Like I think sometimes people, whether it's moms or people who have anxiety, people who are in treatment, it's like, you know, you try something and it's not instantly gratifying. It doesn't instantly work. So you kind of give up on it. And you know, this yes. whole concept of like giving yourself grace and taking it one step at a time, it's not going to instantly feel better. It's not going to be like instant relief when you start to implement these things. That doesn't mean that it's not working or that it can't work. It just means that you
1: need to make it a practice. Um it's so true. I mean like I'm on my I'll be once I get off with you I'm heading to work and I have such bad social anxiety and it's funny because I'm such a social person you would never think that. But even I'm thinking okay, now I need to talk about I'm going to park my car, I'm going to get in, in in store and start educating on on my brand. Um I work for a skincare brand. But even getting from point A to point B that's challenging for me and then once I get in there I'll be fine. So, yeah, I do that a lot like okay, the next 30 minutes, the next hour. Um, and, and, you know, by the time I'm, I'm wrapped up for the night and, um, my son's in his PJs and, you know, we're watching a show we, we did it, you know? And so I think if you can take it, take it step by step.
0: I love that advice so, so much. So yeah, that was going to be your advice. And and is there anything else important for other moms to know other people who are, you know, struggling with OCD and anxiety, whether they're in treatment or kind of n- thinking about it, maybe they're not in treatment. What else is important for other people out there who are listening? What's important for them to know?
1: I think th- I think the biggest piece of advice I can give anyone if they're because ch- I've had people that message me and say, "Well, I'm not sure if I have it or if I don't," and I'm not a therapist. So, the first thing I do is tell them I'm not a therapist. Find find a therapist. I think accessibility and education are like two of the biggest components to anxiety, OCD, um, any sort of mental health issue, find, find access in your area. Um, IOCDF is like one of the most amazing resources for me. Um, that's how I found my ERP therapist was through, um, the, the IOCDF foundation. And I think educating yourself, find, find books. There's so many books on anxiety and OCD or on mental health in general. I, I, and I, I know they 're not for everyone i 'm um, definitely kind of um, a lover of all self help books. I, I have way too many, but I think the education piece of it is so important is when you 're educated, you know you know what you need to do to get to get help and I also think um, accessibility is huge so Instagram I know it, it, you know it 's not for everyone, but social media platforms in general. Um, can be really, there's a lot I have found that has been very helpful as far as accessibility. Um, Groups that I didn't even, like OCD peers, um, there's so many great, um, even through IOCDF, I know that they have um, calls that they do periodically throughout the week. So even people that maybe don't have access to treatment, there's still ways for them to learn about ERP and to actively be doing it on their own or seek out a therapist. I mean, no cd is amazing um, and i personally feel like any sort of treatment is better than nothing at all
0: yes 100% there are tons and tons of great resources out there ocd peers is a great one um the iocdf.org is a great place to find support systems yeah. um, i think i think instagram and you know just basic education can be a lot for people i cannot tell you how many people still to this day every day are like I didn't even know that I had OCD. And it's like very straightforward OCD. It's like very obvious obvious harm harm intrusive thoughts or sexual intrusive thoughts or scrupulosity thoughts. And it's like, yes, this is very clearly OCD to me. And it should be simple um, for either other therapists to figure it out or for them to just like know this, right? Like if you're anxious in social situations, we all kind of have that tendency to think like, wow, like I might have social anxiety. I don't don't know why that's not out there for OCD yet you know, maybe it is a little bit for contamination stuff or perfectionistic stuff, but we really need to do better.
1: Oh, absolutely. And some of those really like taboo subtypes, um, you know, harm, um, you know, I've dealt with, I've dealt with harm OCD. I've literally dealt with the bulk of, of the subtypes. Um, But it's, yeah, they're very, they're taboo. And so I think a lot of people are really afraid to speak up um, and talk about what they're really dealing with, because they, they don't feel like people are going to um either either listen or understand
0: yeah absolutely so many good things so i'm curious before i let you go um and we start to plan our second podcast episode yes. Yeah. <laughs> um i ask everybody why is it good to do and go through hard things
1: oh my gosh um i think the biggest the biggest thing i could tell people is that when you do these hard things and you come out on the other side how amazing does that feel to know that you can do it I think there are so many things if I wouldn't have pushed to do these hard things, I wouldn't have been able to come out on the other side and, and, and help people. Um, if I wouldn't have put one foot in front of the other and, and started school, I wouldn't have ever been able to pursue something that I really wanted to do um, and't it can be the simplest thing. it could be um, going to a public place. it could be um, eating a food that you never thought you would be able to eat. It could be driving on the freeway, anything that's an exposure for you personally. If you're able to push through that, um, think about how amazing it's going to feel when you get on the other side.
0: I love that feeling. It's the best feeling ever. Yeah. Yeah, And that's what keeps you going. That's that. You know, maybe it doesn't happen after the first exposure. Maybe it doesn't happen every time, but eventually people will get this experience of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. And it's so and It's 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 a a very
1: gratifying feeling because there's been plenty of times where I felt I couldn't do something. And then once you do it, you're like, okay, I got this. I can do it. And I think it really, it it really takes self-confidence and it takes, it takes work, but you can do it.
0: I love that. That's a great way to end. So Stephanie, before I let you go again, I, I know you do so much advocacy work and you have people reaching out to you and you know, I, I want you to share with our listeners where they can find more of your story, where they can follow you maybe on Instagram um, and keep up with the awesome work that you're doing.
1: Oh, you're sweet. I, yeah, I I'm working on my platform. It's still kind of a baby platform, but I'm doing everything I can to help because um, I know what it's like to be in the throes of, of this disorder. But, um, you can find me at navigate, navigate underscore OCD on Instagram. And I have a small community for my yoga practice called yoga for inflammation on Facebook. Awesome.
0: That's wonderful. Um, so for those of you listening, I will put those both in the show notes. If you want to keep up to date with Stephanie and her journey and all the awesome things that she's doing, Stephanie, again, thank you so much. Um, I know just like taking time out of your day, especially right before work and all that good stuff to talk about things that aren't very pleasant, um, probably isn't the best thing in the world, but it also makes us feel really empowered. And I know that you share in that mission. So thank
1: you so much. Oh, Jenna, thank you. And thank you so much for all the work you're doing. We love your podcast. (laughs) Thank you.
0: For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennahoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jennah.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.